We're in our fourth week of five habits of healthy churches, things that healthy churches do that make them healthy. Colossians 3 has a reading. By the way, if you looked at the notes, they're a little different for you today. There are very few of my words in there and mainly scripture. This could be probably a whole series of sermons. There are series within series of what I'm going to give you today. So I'm aware of that. I'm not going to drop anchor very often today and park for a while. I'm going to kind of move through it quickly because there's even responses that we want to do at the end that I want to lead us through. So Colossians 3, the key phrase there is in verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, in discussion, it's difficult for our human nature for us not to shift view or have a distorted view sometimes. And uh, when I talk about worship, I say it's more than music. But let me be real clear here. Thank God for good music that leads us into the presence of God and an encounter to worship him. However, if we think of worship only as music, we have a very distorted view and, and we become a little bit like three of Jesus' closest friends when they're on the Mount of Transfiguration, and it's pretty amazing what's going on. And basically, they say, hey, why don't we just camp out here for a while? This is really awesome. And Jesus basically said, there's still work to be done down in the valley. We can't stay on the mountain because people in the valley need help. We don't come to to church just to have this euphoria of experiencing God, and when it's over, well, I guess we're good till next week. The greatest act of worship is obedience. We worship God with our songs, and when it's done with a pure heart, I believe that, I believe God even kind of quietens the band of heaven who have talent like we can't even imagine because he's hearing the voice of the redeemed, and there's something special about that. Now, the five things we're talking about, I believe they all connect together. And if you pull any of them out individually, you have this distorted view. The second thing we talked about was fellowship. Because we have relationship with God, we have relationship with each other. But if we're not careful, we love each other so much that we ignore the world. We have fun in our holy huddles. We like potlucks or pot blessed. Got to be careful there. And if we're not careful, we become so connected with each other that we forget those around us. Jesus had his close associates, but he also saw the world, amen? Then the third thing we talked about last week is that is discipleship, growing to be more like Jesus and being very diligent in that process, working toward that, making every effort to become like him. However, if we're not careful, if we distort it, what happens is we become Boy Scouts with a bunch of merit badges. And I have, you know, checked all the boxes, and I'm good. Being a follower of Jesus is more than, it's more than just going through a particular regiment of study or routine. Those things are important, just like singing songs is important. Don't, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater on me here. Hang with me. Hear, hear the whole thing of what I'm saying. They all have to be there. And worship flows into fellowship, and fellowship flows into discipleship, and discipleship flows into ministry. 
as we are worshiping God, obeying his word, we're loving each other, we're, we're studying and learning to become like Jesus, and then we look out and we see the needs of the world, and in that moment, we are very, very, very much like Jesus. And the last one we're going to look at next week is that healthy churches, healthy Christians share the gospel authentically, and um, we, we've talked about it. God has always demonstrated concern for those in need. That is part of his nature. It is his character. Uh, James chapter 5, 11 tells us about God being com- full of compassion. When we hear the story about how God, uh, the patience of Job and all the things that are there, and it talks about God compassionately being with him. Psalm 116, 5 says, the Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 says he's the God of all comfort. Now, I want to go here for just a minute, and I'm really going to let the text speak for itself primarily in Luke 61. It's in your notes there. I want you to to follow this, this messianic word that Isaiah recorded. How do we know it's messianic? Well, because it just sounds messianic, number one. But number two, probably more importantly, is because Jesus tells us, It's about him. So in Isaiah 61, verses 1, and this could could be a a massive series right here. I'm going to hit it quick, but, but hear the word of the Lord. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Well, let me pause right there because there's a really cool thought I read this week that I wanted to give to you. When we're talking about the Lord's favor, it can't be described in a small capsule of time like a day. It's a whole year of that. But his vengeance comes quickly and swiftly. There will be a day when justice comes upon all of those who have rejected Jesus Christ. But aren't you glad that he gives provision for us to experience his favor, to live in that reality, to comfort all who mourn, provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Now, it's talking about you and me right now. It's talking about those who've been redeemed by God. Here's what they're going to do. They're going to rebuild the ancient ruins. They're going to restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. I I think we have to be careful with wording here. There's a lot of phrases that pop out in theology, and I don't believe that that there is a... um, dynamic of demonic activity that puts a particular family in its grips forever without any source of freedom, I do believe there are tendencies and habits that are developed that are perpetuated through family lines where the sins of the father become the sins of the children. But here's what I love about what this word says right here, the cities that have been devastated for generations will be renewed. 
Whatever it is in your past, whatever it is of your nature that is negative, that is destructive, God wants to renew life to you. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It's like people you don't even know are going to come and help you. And you'll be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and the riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Instead of, instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. Let me go on down. All who see them will acknowledge that they are people that the Lord has blessed, for he's clothed them with garments of righteousness, of salvation. As we read through this, I think of the words of Jesus in, in Luke 4, where he reads this passage and he concludes his reading by saying this, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The day of the Lord is beginning. Christ has come for the first time. He will come with the rapture and then he will come a second time to be on earth and will reign with him for a thousand years. It's going to be glorious but he says that this starts today. It's not fulfilled in its completion on that day, but the works are set in motion, and we live with that hope. We live with that joy. Let me move quickly. As you look at servanthood and serving people and doing ministry and, and, and caring for people, first of all, I want you to see that Jesus demonstrated servanthood he, he demonstrated doing good works to bless other people. It was the nature of who he is. In Acts 10, 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good. What an incredible description of a person's life. What kind of guy was he? Yeah, he just went around doing good. Can you get much better than that? It's almost as if it was with something that was so in his nature, so in his DNA that he didn't even have to process it or think about it. He just went about doing good, healing those who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Then in Mark chapter 10, verse 42 through 45, the disciples have been arguing over who is the greatest. And they've had all of these issues going on. And they were kind of quick to do this. We know Jesus is, he's top dog. We got that. But who's going to get to be the VP? I, I, I want to hope to be somewhere in that management group. I want to be right up there with him. And Jesus calls them together, verse 42, and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. In other words, he says, in, in the Gentile world, being a leader means that everyone else has to pay you honor and respect and, and you get the perks and you get all the benefits. But he said, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must first, must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve. You know, when you, when you read the writings of Paul, it's interesting how he identifies who he is in his letters. Early on, 
Some of the first letters he writes, uh, he, he says things like this, and it was the will of God that he wrote it this way, but there's a couple of interesting points. He had to let them know he was an apostle because maybe some were in doubt, some weren't sure. But I think there was also a self-realization. The longer that he walked in the journey of following Christ, the view of himself diminished substantially. So when you get to the latter of his letters, the last ones that he wrote, he says things like this. It's not Paul, the apostle of God. It's Paul, the chief of sinners. Paul, the least among you. And he puts this thing out there as he's growing in God that it's not a deal of somebody owes me, somebody needs to recognize me and provide for me. But he, as he grows in God, he continues to see this. Even when he wrote the book of Romans, he said, I am a debtor. I'm the one who's at debt. You don't owe me. I owe you. Jesus came not to be served. How many of you know that would have been appropriate? But he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And if we are followers of Christ, our calling is to serve the needs of our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the dilemma that always pops up. And by the way, this was debated heavily, even on one of our general counsel floors a few years ago. And I understand the concern and I share the concern, but I also realize we have to rise past the concern to the appropriate response. The concern is this. If we're not careful, we'll become a place where all we care about is feeding the hungry and... and uh, clothing people who need clothing and, and doing the, meeting physical needs. And if we're not careful, we'll lose the spiritual part of who we are. Why do we think we have to choose one or the other? We must do both. We must help meet the needs. By the way, a lot of our missions programs that we do are doing that very thing, the, the I haven't been on a missions trip in a little while, but the last ones that I went to were an orphanage in Kenya and an orphanage uh, in Thailand. And we support them and we've given offerings and we've bought vans and we've put on roofs. Our church has done that. We have our annual day of hope and we do things to reach our community with the gospel. But we also make sure that we declare Jesus is Lord. We also declare that the word of God is true and authoritative. Without error, we build our lives on God's word. We don't have to choose one or the other. And I'm thankful that, that, that we came to the conclusion as the assemblies of God that one of the core values of what we do is to be an agency of compassion for the glory of God. Jesus Christ gave himself Rather than being served, he served others. Jesus' followers are commanded to serve others. Not only that, Ephesians 2.10, 1 Timothy 6.18, interesting one there. Because 1 Timothy 6.18 says, those of you who have wealth. And it's kind of funny because none of us like to think we have wealth. We all think, well, I'm doing okay or whatever. But compared to 90% of the world, we are the rich beyond their comprehension. So how are you handling what you have? doesn't matter how much you have. How are you handling what you have? Use it to be a blessing. And so many of you do that so, so well. So continually, so generously. 
Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, Jesus speaking. This is out of the Sermon on the Mount, one of the, right after the Beatitudes, one of the classic verses of Scripture, you are the light of the world. Now, in other places, Jesus said, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But here he tells his followers, you are the light of the world. How is that? Because we are reflections of him. He lives through us. We are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. They lift it up, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. What does he mean by that? Well, he's going to tell you right here. Let your light shine by letting them see your good deeds. I know there's a, a positive thought of we don't do things to be seen of men. I understand that. There's a verse, I didn't put it in the text here, but there's a verse that says this, that, that when we are doing the good things that we need to do, they are conspicuous and they cannot be hidden. It doesn't mean that we're trying to get accolades or we're trying to point out to everybody, hey, look what I did. But we should be doing good deeds so frequently that you couldn't miss it. You're going to stumble across it and just see it if you're even paying attention at all. It's not that we're doing it. Here's the other kicker on this verse right here. Not that we would receive glory, but that our Father in heaven would be glorified. We need to let our light shine. We need to be doing good deeds. 1 Peter 4, 7 talks about serving others. Listen to this. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you receive to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. As you read this text, and I was studying this text uh, with many, many others. That's why I said there's a lot of sermons in here. I was looking through one of the commentaries that I have uh, on my computer, and, and it has sermons by our former general superintendent, George O. Wood, who went home to be with the Lord last year. And here's some of his notes. Let, let me just give you a little bit. He says in, in 1 Peter 4, it tells us in verses 7 through 11 that we need to move away from the passive life of complacency to the active life of prayer and hospitality in love and service. Dr. Wood says, Peter says, the end of all things is near. Some people look at that and say, he sure missed that, didn't he? 2,000 years have come and gone, but the end isn't yet. But everybody he wrote to thought the end was near. Now listen, I, this, is, this is worded so well. I've said this before, but... Even worded better here. I think the best way to take a text like that is to take it in the biblical setting that the Bible teaches the end time for every human being is always in his or her generation. This is the end of time for me. Christ may not come in my generation. He might, and we believe in the imminent, that means the soon return of Christ, but even if he doesn't come back in my lifetime, I will go to him in my lifetime. Isn't that good? 
So the end of all things is upon me and could happen today. The end of all things is near. And he goes on and he says, based on these, the, the writing here that, that I just that read to you from, or that I'm getting ready to read to you from, he says that we are to be involved in panic-free prayer, fervent love, uncomplaining hospitality, and faithful gift services. Listen to what Peter says here. Listen to it all. The end of all things is near. Be alert, sober-minded, so you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply. Offer hospitality. Use your gift to serve others. Paul refers to good works three times in his letter to Titus. By the way, there's 46 verses in Titus. And in 23 of those verses, from 2.7 to 3.14, three times he speaks of the value of good works. And in each one of the references, it is encouraging people to abound in good works. People get some really goofy theology sometimes. And you got to keep it in context. You got to keep it in place. But if you got this mindset that it's just you and Jesus doing your own thing and nobody else matters, I don't know what book you've been reading, but it wasn't the Bible. I referenced it a while ago, but Ephesians chapter 2 says we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, his created effort. God's masterpiece. How many of you think that if God declares you to be a masterpiece, when you look at his handiwork in our world, you're pretty significant? You're his masterpiece, one he has crafted, one he's put in exactly the right place so that we would do good works. That's the intent, that is the purpose. Now, I'll get to this in just a moment, a little bit more in depth, but more than having an event of compassion, we need to have a life of compassion. Thank God for the day of hope. Thank God for different activities that go on throughout the year. Thank God we get to be a church that helps people and blesses people and other churches and individuals, and we do things to help people in a time of crisis, but we need to be looking for that individually, intentionally, all the time. We're called to serve with the right attitude. Psalm 102 says, serve the Lord with gladness. And we serve the Lord when we serve others. We're to do it with joy, not begrudgingly, but joyfully. I grew up with this. It was a concept of our home. We didn't have to go to church. We get to go to church. We didn't have to give in the offering. We get to give in the offering. It's a privilege. It's a pleasure. We never had to do things. We were afforded that opportunity. Whatever you do, whether word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving glory to the Father. All of the things we get to do, we should do joyfully. Matthew 25, 21, I'll come back to this in a minute, but his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Both those words have importance there. Good speaks of the fact that you're supposed to do it with quality to the best of your ability. Your good and my good may be two different things. But I'm gonna do the best that I can do and you should do the best that you can do and, and Let's be faithful, 
continuing to do those things. Faithfulness is a key in serving with the right attitude. Alert is another key. First Thessalonians 5, 15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good. Isn't that a powerful phrase right there? Always seek to do good. Some of us, for us to do good, it's got to come up and just smack us in the face. And we go, oh, there's a chance for me to help somebody. What's being described here is not having to be be coerced or having to, to, to see signs. You know, God, if you want me to help so-and-so, show me a sign. Okay, here's your sign. They have a need. You don't need anything else than that. They have a need. You have the ability to help. Do what you can do. Now, now we're, let me throw this out real quick because I don't think it got in the notes. It was in my original process of thought. When we're looking about doing good deeds and helping people, I think there's several things we have to pray for. One at the top of this would be discernment. What's the right way to help? What's the best way to help? And, and sometimes the worst thing you can do is give your money to help somebody who's not able to process that and use it wisely. Sometimes that is the best thing you can do, though, too. Let me go there. See, it takes discernment. There's not a always do this or an always do that. It takes a heart of compassion that tries to look at things from God's perspective, and it takes wisdom to plan out a, a path of action to take. God, help us to, to get right, but help us, Lord, to be alert and to pay attention. James 2, 15 through 17, if you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothes and you say goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing, what good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't faith unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. The right attitude is one of action, one of helping, not one of observing, not one of being a spectator, but one of being a participant. Let me throw one more thought out here, kind of off the track a little bit, but I'm going to tie it back in, hopefully. So that's what we're all supposed to be doing. We're supposed to serve joyfully, faithfully, uh, to the best of our ability, with attentiveness and with action. But I think there's something that, that creates problems just as much um, is that when I have a need, if I don't let anyone know about it, and then I get mad because they didn't help me. I, I know I'm taking this somewhat out of context, but I think the principle does apply. You have not because you ask not. Ask and you shall receive. Now that's all talking about God. That's the primary application. But can I tell you, there's a whole lot of people in the family of God who would help you if they knew you had a need. I wish somehow I could flip the switch. Can I just be really, really candid for one moment here? I'm trying to go through this quick, but I gotta pause for just a second here and give this one out. Perplexing question of life for me. Why is it that there are some people who have no problem at all at asking for everything that they want. Then there are others who have an actual need and they never ask. I wish somehow we could get that balanced out. You, you don't know this, and none of them are here today because they never come on Sunday. It's, it's amazing the different people that look to churches to provide for them um, in a way that's non-productive. 
And so people will show up right as they know the office is closing because they know in those last moments you're trying to get out and in a hurry you may just do something to be done with it. People, I've had people that will show up at church at about 1155 because they think they've been to a Baptist church. They think everybody gets out at noon. And they come in and they have this story already concocted and made up of what's wrong and why they need help. And can you give me some money? I just need a little bit of help. And it pulls on the heartstrings of all of us as well. It should. But sometimes, most of the time, they're as phony as a $4 bill. And it takes discernment. I, I, if you ever want to have a conversation, let's go to lunch. And I got 20 of them. I can tell you stories. It, 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 it takes discernment. It takes wisdom. But when there's a real need, can we push aside our skepticism and the jadedness of life that, that causes us to think everybody's trying to run a scam and say, Lord, how can I help? Could I suggest to you that if you'll take time to pray and ask God for direction, he will help you. I've got a lot of stories I'd love to tell you right now, but time will not permit. So call me and let's, let's do lunch. We have to be aware of needs and take action to help. If you have a need, call and let us know what you need and we will help. We, we, and by the way, there are many people in this church who can help as good or better than I can help you. I don't have a big ego. So, so there are people who can pray for you better than me. There are people in our church, if you've got a problem at your house and the plumbing is messed up, I'm not your guy. I can refer you to the plumber that I call, but I can't help you. That's not my gifting. And if you want to talk about what was Paul saying in 1 Timothy, let's, I'm your man. <laughs> let's go on that one. But we find help from a lot of places. And there are some people, they feel like, well, if I don't get help from like this guy or that guy or whatever, well, the church didn't do anything for me. Listen, we're all the church. We're all serving. We're all helping. Don't make your window of opportunity so small that you're waiting to have a particular person contact you. That didn't go over real great, but it's okay. I feel better having said it. I'm just going to say that. The Bible encourages us to not wait, but to speak up when we have a need. Fourthly, and finally, concluding with this. Wow, I've went too long already. We're called to serve those in, needs, in need. The word hospitality in Scripture, I read it a while ago to you. Hospitality specifically speaks of those who are strangers. Not those you know, but the Bible also tells us that we're to take care of our friends and serve them too, so that's good, especially those who are of the household of faith, Paul tells us. Our helping of others should be planned and spontaneous. In other words, giving an admissions offering every month to help missionaries take the gospel around the world is a great planned way to 
to serve our, our world, to serve our nation in part with the gospel of Jesus Christ, but spontaneous means that when I see a need, that I meet it, and individually and corporately. Let me talk about those two real fast. Why is individually important that I do it to my neighbors? I do it with my network of influence because I'm gonna be some places that are unique to me that none of the rest of you will ever see. And so are all of you in that same category. But if you are doing what you can to serve those around you, how effective will it become when all of us let our light shine where we are and we illuminate our community with the goodness of God? But how awesome is it for us to do it corporately? And we come together like last month when we can say, as a church, we gave $50,000 to help some, some places of desperate ministry need. We were able to do it. Probably most of us wouldn't even have a shot in the world at doing that in one offering, maybe not even in a year or two, maybe not in your lifetime. But together, we can accomplish a lot. Individually, we can be more effective in reaching more people even. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is speaking and he gives this story. He says, the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Because I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when? When? Now, I kind of cut part of the scripture out, not changing the tense or the tone, but trying to make it fit on the paper. Lord, when? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then they will reply, Lord, when do we ever see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked? This, these are the ones who he says, you go to the other side. And he talks to them and he says, you didn't do any of these things. And they say, when do we see you like that? When, Lord, when? And the king will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. I want to be careful to be true to the whole word of God. It's really kind of hard to take this passage and, 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 and get my head wrapped around just to be real honest with you, but it seems pretty clear what Jesus is saying, that if we have a salvation that is only in word and not in deed, then we might not have eternal life. Well, I thought I was just supposed to say a prayer and like go to church and put a little money in the offering and that was gonna make it happen. It's about your whole attitude of life. Have you been transformed? Some people, all they did was they got a little dose of religion. And they're trying to do better and work hard and be smart. But they haven't been transformed. They haven't been made a new creation. We get excited about that verse. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are passed away. All things become new. And we just get a picture of a butterfly on our head like it's just beautiful. But we don't realize a new creation. Totally different. Everything changes. 
no longer just about me. But now it's about understanding I'm a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. And whatever I do in word or in deed, do it in the name of Jesus. I'm so thankful for people like Aaron and Crystal and others in our church. The Boggs, the Toots, who have been used of God to foster or to adopt. In a minute, we're going to look at a card that you're going to be able to check things you want to do. And, and, and right now, our son and his wife and their daughter are in Orlando, and they're having a Disney extravaganza down there. And the five-month-old son, Harrison James, is with us. We are parents of a five-month-old for six days. It hasn't been that rough on me, but you're the first people Janet has seen this week. I'm just saying. Not quite, but it's a little different. And it may not be the right thing. Let me just help you out. It is not the right thing for everyone in this room to say, I'm either going to foster or adopt. But we can help those who do. We can be a voice of encouragement. We can be, we can be a hand of help. That's one way you can serve. One of our men in the church, he's headed out, I think, tomorrow, I believe, right? Is that, is that right, Josh? Can I tell country is that under wraps? No? Okay. He's going to a country to do ministry where the gospel is not, not well seen. And he's going to take the gospel there. So we got a couple of easy things we can do. We can pray. We can um, believe God. As a matter of fact, I want to pray for him today. That God will just cover over him with his grace. And all of his provision. We can, uh, we can pray for Michelle. We'll be here with the kids. If the Lord should let on your heart, maybe you take them by a bag of Chick-fil-A. I'm just saying. We can do things that help, that encourage, that strengthen. Isn't it amazing how much a word of encouragement can do? Just a little act of kindness. By the way, in case you're thinking, this doesn't sound real spiritual to be talking about doing good deeds, acts of kindness, and this sort of thing. Three of the nine descriptions of the fruit of the Spirit have to do with kindness, goodness, and gentleness. Pretty significant. Pretty important. Can I encourage you in small ways and in big ways? Treat people with kindness. Maybe I did this because I knew I was preaching on this today. I don't think so, but I was in line yesterday at the grocery store. You know how sometimes you got the one line that you're here and you're figuring out which one's going to go quickest? And there was a lady, and she was kind of doing that sort of thing, and she picked wrong. And then she came over, and I was the last one in my line, and then she gets in line behind me, and I said, ma'am, you were here before me. Why don't you come on up and get in front of me? She's like, oh, no, 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 no. 
I said, no, 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 it's only right. You were here first. Come on up. You know, I've seen people almost come to blows in a grocery store, grocery store shopping line, checkout line. What if we just practiced kindness? And what about if we went about doing good? I have a feeling it would make a big impact on our world. Now, Jesus' example, you might get crucified in the end result. I can't promise you everybody's going to love you and bring you flowers. But I can tell you this, God will be pleased. And that's all that counts. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment today? I got a few things I want to walk, walk you through, and then I'm going to go as quick as I can. Thank you for your patience today. I hope you felt my heart, how I had so much to share, and I actually tried to go super fast. And I'm going to go quick now. But first of all, the initial thing that has to happen is for you to have a relationship with God. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ, confessing your sins, and asking him to transform you into a new person. If you need that today, I want to pray with you first of all. Anyone here today and say, Pastor, that's what I need in my life. I need God to, to work in me in that way of transformation, to be born again, to become a new creation. Would you lift your hand all across the room? How many would there be? If you're watching at home, if you can just right now go in and, and click in the box and let us know what's going on. We'll pray for you. Across the room, any with me? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? That's what I need in my life. Today is a day of new beginning. I want to ask a second question. How many of you, with all sincerity, will say, I want God to help me to do better at serving others. I want him to help me to be more alert and attentive and joyful and faithful, looking for ways to be a blessing in people's lives. If that's you, would you just stand to your feet right now all across the room? I'm going to do this today. If you need prayer, I'm going to pray right now a very general prayer for all of us. But if you'll come out in the foyer, Pastor RJ, if you can be out there, Pastor Michael, if you can be out there, go see one of our pastors. They've got some materials they'll give you to help you with your walk with God. If you need that help, we want to help you. We, we certainly don't want to limit this moment right now, but if you need that help, it'll be there for you. Matter of fact, if you need prayer for anything, some of us will be out there. We'll be glad to pray with you. But let me pray this prayer right now and join with me. God, I thank you that you offer salvation, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, we know that in that calling, there is a, a radical spiritual transformation that occurs. So radical that it can only be termed as a new birth. Lord, I pray that you would help us all to experience that reality in our lives and commit our lives to you for as long as we live. Lord, I pray for all of those who are here today who are making a commitment asking you to help them to serve others better. May we be known as a church that cares and a church that acts and a church that helps.
Lord, I thank you for the resources that you've given all of us individually and collectively so that we can be a place of encouragement and refreshment to so many. Lord, we know the only way that we can be involved in providing for others is because, first of all, you have provided for us. And we thank you for your abundance today, and we ask that you would help us to manage well all that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.